Welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined by Joe Chung from As the Joe Flies and Disney Deciphered. It's been a couple weeks, Joe, since we've talked. How's it been? Pretty good. Just uh, jealous of uh, you and your family's trip to Asia. I enjoyed uh, last week's episode with Jasmine. Enjoyed editing that and uh, enjoying checking in with you from time to time. Uh, where are you? I know you were at Hong Kong Disneyland recently. Are you in Hong Kong like right now still? Yeah, still in Hong Kong. We fly to Amsterdam tomorrow, and then uh, we'll have about a week uh, between Amsterdam and we're going to Dusseldorf in Germany and then on to London for our cruise up to Norway, uh, utilizing that free offer we got from Carnival. So, uh, And then uh, back to the U.S. for a meetup in St. Louis, then home for a little bit because we're we're tired, you know, been going hard. But yeah, Hong Kong has uh, been a lot of fun, and Hong Kong Disneyland, starting the drinking off early in the show, was was spectacular. It was great to see their updated castle, which you know may sound like a little thing, and I don't think it looks as good in pictures as it does in person, but uh, if you're into Disney castles, this is by far the best in the world at this point. It's not even close. None of the other castles compete. Yeah, I was surprised you said that. Uh, you messaged that to me, and you also tweeted that as well. Uh, Disneyland Paris has always been my favorite. What was your favorite before this? Uh, and for those of you who don't know, Hong Kong Disneyland initially had like a very small castle a la Disneyland in California. Um, just really not impressive at all. You know, the Disneyland one in California is classic, um, you know, one could say, but uh, very small. Uh, and now they've like done a big redo and there's like spires and things like that. Um, so, yeah, what was your previous favorite one? I would say Paris as well. So Paris is like a bigger version of the Disneyland castle, Sleeping Beauty themed, and then the ones in Tokyo and Florida are Cinderella themed. Uh, but uh, this has themes for all the different princesses. But they really designed it for projection mapping. So the nighttime show is spectacular, and they can make parts of the castle disappear. Just the, the level of projection mapping that they can do on it is, is amazing. But during the day, it has all different architectural styles since it's not tied to one princess. So there's parts that are from different, you know, architectural eras, and it's spectacular. And as you said, it was very small, the same size as the Disneyland castle. I like this castle so much, and this is blasphemy. I would support them doing this in Disneyland, quite honestly. That's how good it is. Yeah, that does sound like blasphemy. Um, is there like a nighttime? There must be a, some kind of nighttime spectacular. That's where you got to see the projections or are there projections at like just random times at night? There's projections all throughout the night, but they do have the end of night show, which is fireworks. They also have fountains in front of it. So it's sort of like partly world of color because they have a huge fountain show that goes with the castle show. Fireworks, projections. And then, of course, they had Coco as part of the show, Joe. So that was... Yeah, they made me cry because they had uh, Mama Coco on there. So yeah, you, you can't go wrong there. But it's been good being in Hong Kong and being back here for the first time since 2019, so for four years. And uh, people who don't know, uh, that listen to, haven't listened to the show for a long time, you're originally from Hong Kong. And your family, you have a lot of family here and you have a lot of ties to the city, right? Yes, I lived there for a few years when I was in middle school. Um, born in New Jersey, but th my family is from there and then immigrated here for college and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, Hong Kong Disneyland is the first actual Disney park that my oldest child went to. So a um, lot of good memories there. And, you know, we just had Nathan Firesheets, the uh, go to all 12 parks in the world in 12 days guy 
come on to uh, Disney Deciphered, and he said actually Hong Kong Disneyland was his favorite park. Like he found it to be vastly underrated, and I, I kind of agree. It is it's a really nice park to be at with a lot of nice things, um, including Mystic Manor, which is like the most unique quote unquote haunted mansion in the world. Yeah, and I've always said that Hong Kong Disneyland is a special place in my heart. And this was my seventh visit there, which is quite ironic considering that it's very far from my house. But I've just always found myself in Hong Kong. And I don't recommend going to all 12 Disney parks in 12 days, as nice as it is for social media. I did, we did all of them in six weeks back in 2019, and I think that was a better way to enjoy them because it all starts to blend together, and you start to lose the, I don't know, the magic a little bit when you're going to too many of them. But it's very easy to do all the Asia parks if that's something people want to do. You know, Tokyo and Shanghai are about a two-hour flight. Shanghai and Hong Kong are about a two-hour flight. And uh, it's very easy to kind of combine all of those into one trip. And then, obviously, uh, I do think Hong Kong Disneyland has a lot of the DNA of the original Disneyland park. But so it has a lot of that feel. It's still a smaller park, though, and things are built on a smaller scale than you'll find somewhere like Disney World or in Tokyo Disneyland. But uh, it, it has a lot going for it. Mystic Manor is great. And they have some interesting things like the Iron Man experience, which is like Star Tours themed Iron Man. And they retheme their Buzz Lightyear shooting ride, if you're into that, into Ant-Man and the Wasp with new tech, which works so much better than the old shooting dark ride tech. So uh, not to make this a Disney episode, but Hong Kong Disneyland, well worth the visit. It's about a 45-minute train ride, I'd say, if you're in the center of Hong Kong. But they have their own MTR line, so you basically can use public transportation to get there. And it's it's pretty cheap. It's not as cheap as Tokyo. Tokyo Disneyland, I would say, is the best value among all the Disney parks. It's like $65 to get in. In Japan, they don't inflate the prices of food and stuff nearly as much. So you can get like a bottled soda for less than $2 in the park in Disney, uh, in Tokyo Disney. You know, meals are like 8 9 bucks. I would say. Hong Kong Disneyland, their food is definitely like U.S. Disney-level prices. Uh, One-day ticket's about $80, so... Definitely cheaper than in the U.S. And they do have like a tourist two-day pass right now. That's about $100. So uh, if you want to do it, I don't know if I would recommend going there two days. This was the first time we did actually go two days, but it was like two half days. And the main reason was because the Grizzly Coaster, which is sort of like a fusion between Expedition Everest down in Animal Kingdom and Thunder Mountain, was closing for refurbishment. So we had to go the last day to get there. And uh, it was a it was great to do that. But Highly recommend Hong Kong Disneyland. And to speak about the hotels here real quick, Joe, staying at the Hyatt Regency TST. Can you tell me how to pronounce it? I, I always say it wrong, TST. So I'll let you, the expert, tell me. Um, I mean, in Cantonese, it's Tim Sa Tsui, but then I don't I don't know how to romanize that. I mean, Tim Sa Tsui? Tim Sa Tsui? No, it's, it's, uh, I think the pr- pr- correct British pronunciation is Tim Sa Tsui. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know how to actually romanize it. I always just, I, I say TST in English or I say it in Chinese, Cantonese. That's, that's the way I handle it. But is that where you are at right now? Are you doing multiple hotels in Hong Kong? So we were originally going to do that. So in Macau, we did three hotels in three days. We stayed at the Four Seasons, the St. Regis and the Grand Hyatt. We used two FHR offers using our $200 credit, one at the Four Seasons, one at the St. Regis. And then I just used points at the Grand Hyatt there. And uh, originally we were going to do the Conrad here for one night because I'd always wanted to do that. And I had a 85K cert uh, with Marriott, so I was going to do the Ritz. Now, if anybody doesn't hasn't heard of the Ritz here, 
for a longest period of time, it was the highest hotel in the world because it's on, I think, floors 102 through 118 of a tower here in Hong Kong. So it's very unique. But I, you know, considering our last hotel in Japan, three hotels in Macau, and then coming here and switching those hotels, it would have been seven hotels in seven nights. So uh, we didn't do that. So we just staying here at the Hyatt Regency TST. And uh, because I was able to secure a suite upgrade, I figured it was good enough to do that. I stayed at the Grand Hyatt three different times. And the Grand Hyatt is on Hong Kong Island. And it is so more in the, you know, the proper part of Hong Kong, whereas TST is in Kowloon. But it's much more isolated. And I feel like the location here is much better. I've stayed here once before at the Hyatt Regency, and the rooms are very small. So if you're getting a standard room, I don't know that I would recommend it. But the suites are about 600 square feet, pretty nice, a separate living room, bedroom. And the location is just so much better. There is so much around this area as far as food goes, as far as things to see. And the transport links, there's an MTR station right in the basement. Whereas the Grand Hyatt, you got to walk probably you know 10 to 15 minutes to get to an MTR station. It's just much more isolated. Grand Hyatt, for sure, is a luxury property, whereas this isn't. But the Grand, the Regency Club here is pretty good. And unless you're really looking for that like special experience, I think this is a good location if you can secure a suite. The standard rooms, I think, unless you're just by yourself, are probably a little bit too small. But I do uh, like this location. This is only my second time staying in the hotel, in this hotel, and I would recommend it to anybody. Plus, the Grand Hyatt was, didn't have suites available, and it was basically double the price because it was a, a peak rate. So it was 29,000 points a night, whereas I got this for 57,000 points for four nights as a category four. One night was off peak using the suite upgrade. Yeah, you can't beat that for Hong Kong, especially in a suite. And this is a great area. Like I said, so much good food around here. Are you in one of the suites that is like on the, like, because there are curved windows on the building. Are you in one of those suites? That's the suite that I had when I was there. Yeah, it's at the end of the hallway, so there's one on each end of the floor. And yep, and you have curved windows. I don't have the harbor view, so I have the city view looking back towards although you can see the harbor in the distance. But yeah, perfectly good and it's really nice with the curved windows. You get a great view from the bed. And the living room isn't huge, but it's good enough size. They provided us a free rollaway bed for Ellie, so she's camping out in the living room. And the bathroom is connected to both the living room and the bedroom, so it's like a big circle the suite. So I, I think it's a perfectly fine suite. And I would recommend if anybody can get a suite upgrade here, you're looking to save a few points or you're not going to be in the room all that much. Uh, it's pretty good. And the the club, like I said, it doesn't compare to the Grand Hyatt. It's not trying to be that property, but uh, it's half the price and the location is definitely better. Yeah. I mean, I would say that uh, in Asia, especially in Hong Kong, like, yes, it's nice to have the club. It's nice to have breakfast and stuff like that but for me like the club is like mainly focused on getting diet coke or uh sometimes in asia it's got to be coke zero the building that the high regency tsd is in in the basement there's if i recall correctly a huge food court or it's just connected to a mall that has a big food court and you know as it typically is in asia if you walk like a block in any direction, you're going to find another mall with like another food court in there. And so there's so much stuff to eat. Um, or you can also eat at um, the English translation, I think would be tea houses. These are just like random places where you can get like a half British, half Chinese breakfast. 
Um, and those are really cheap. So there's just so much to eat, especially if you know where to go or even just ask someone where to go for breakfast and things like that. So in Asia, especially in Hong Kong, where I kind of know what I'd want to eat, uh, you go to Cafe de Coral, um, which is a fast food place. And, you know, even if you don't speak Chinese, like there are pictures on the menu and you just point at stuff that you want for breakfast and it's super cheap. It's going to be like less than $10 US. So with all those options, it's like with the club, maybe it's nice for an afternoon soda or a snack, but it's not as necessary um, as I find in other places. Like I don't rely on it. It's like I don't even want necessarily want that breakfast um, compared to what I can get out there. Yeah, it's a good point. Breakfast, we're definitely eating here. At night, we're not, you know, we're trying to, there's so much good food around and we're not as uh, as up on all the restaurants as you are, but it'd be a shame to come here to Hong Kong and to just eat in the club for breakfast and dinner and not eat anything else because there's so much great food around. And I do want to do a shout out to Google Lens. So if you take a photo on your phone and you go into Google Photos, it'll translate it for you. And we use this in Japan quite often because there would be times where like we went on this hiking trail near Kyoto and the signs weren't in English and, you know, it kind of had directions on it. So it was important to kind of know what it was saying and just snap a picture of it. Google Lens instantly translates it. If you're ever in a restaurant where there's a menu that doesn't have English, you can do that. And I found that it works like incredibly well. Uh, I did it yesterday at a restaurant here in Hong Kong as well. So it translated Chinese perfectly. So uh, I think the world is so much easier to travel in these days uh, compared to the past. And to your point, almost everything here is in English. Uh, English is, you know, heavily is all around in Hong Kong. You know, the British influence still exists. So even at Hong Kong Disneyland, it's got to be the easiest of the foreign Disney parks, I would say, for if you're just really looking for English content, because everything is very English focused. They also do have like some of their shows like Festival of the Lion King have both Cantonese and English kind of going back and forth. But all their rides, there's definitely an English component to them. I never get bothered. Like I go to Tokyo Disneyland and there's very little English there and it doesn't bother me at all. Um, but uh, if you're into that, uh, they English everywhere here. And Hong Kong feels very similar to the way it did before the pandemic. Everything is open. Um, you see maybe a few more masks than you used to, but I'd say about half the people are not wearing masks. So, I mean, that doesn't really bother me one way or the other, but if you don't want to wear a mask, it's not expected, even on public transport, wherever you go, it just feels like the very busy bustling city that it did before. And that's really nice to see, because that's exactly what I was looking for coming back here. So you went to Hong Kong via way of Macau. So what were your experiences there? I know uh, I'm, I'm assuming you and Mark may have talked about it on the Vegas show since it's casino related, but um, you know, are anything you want to share with us about what happened in Macau? Yeah. So I had talked uh, last time we spoke that I was considering flying air Macau from Japan down to directly to Macau but ultimately, I decided to fly Cathay Pacific, and I redeemed Alaska miles, and I think it was 15,000 miles for premium economy from Tokyo to Hong Kong, and it was only 12,500 for economy, so that 2,500-mile upgrade was certainly worth doing, and Cathay Pacific has long been my favorite airline, so it was really nice to fly them again since I hadn't done that since 2019, and that flight went really well. Uh, I like their premium economy product. I don't know that it's worth paying a huge amount for 2,500 miles, definitely worth it. Uh, a much more comfortable seat, but uh, 
you know, if it was hundreds of dollars or significant amount more, I think economy would have been just fine. Uh, the service was really good on Cathay Pacific. They served a meal. You know, it's a four-hour flight, so nothing, uh, nothing out of the ordinary there. But in the past, I've done this several times where you fly into Hong Kong International Airport, and they have a pier there where you can get the ferry to Macau without having to go through immigration or anything else. And unfortunately, the pandemic has really taken a toll on that, and they have one ferry a day now, and we had just missed it. But you can also go past immigration and take a bus over the new bridge. And I believe the the bridge between Hong Kong and Macau, and it also goes to Zhuhai on mainland China, is the largest overseas road crossing in the world. It, it goes, it's like 70 kilometers or something like that. It's huge. It's a bridge and tunnel, uh, a really a, a project that I watched them build for quite a long time. So I was excited to do that, but it just took forever to get to Macau because of the timings of the buses. So I didn't do a good enough job of researching that ahead of time just because in the past there were so many ferries and I never really had to think too much about it. So I definitely recommend either flying into Macau or just making sure that you look at the timings of everything if you're planning to go straight from Hong Kong Airport to Macau. But uh, so we got there via bus over the bridge, which was fun because I had been wanting to do that. This is the first time I did it. I still prefer the ferry. I'll say now that I did the bridge, the ferry is the way to go. It's much quicker uh, and you get and it drops you right in the middle of Hong Kong. So we took the ferry back. But yeah, I just wanted to talk briefly about Macau, and we didn't talk yet on the Vegas show about the casinos and stuff, but we will. So I'm not going to speak about the casinos here, but I did want to talk about the FHR bookings. So Four Seasons Macau, it cost me about $260 all in, and that's taxes everything. And I used a $200 platinum FHR credit, fine hotels and resorts, and that comes every year with, with your personal platinum card. And so my co- out-of-pocket cost was $60. And that comes with two free breakfasts, a $100 credit, uh, a room upgrade if available. And the Four Seasons Macau is a spectacular property. It's basically attached to the Venetian. It's a standalone property, but it's connected to the Venetian, also connected to the Parisian, which is uh, basically the Paris version of Venetian. Think of like Paris, Las Vegas on steroids. That's how I would describe it. But the Four Seasons sits in between those two, and it's its own little property there. Beautiful pools. They upgraded us to a junior suite. Uh, service was just impeccable. And like I said, it comes with two free breakfasts. And then uh, our daughter was with us. We were able to use part of the $100 credit to pay for her breakfast, which was half price, which I thought was perfectly good. Uh, 4 p.m. late checkout. They had children's amenities. So she got like stuffed animal. There was like a big cake in the room, all kinds of stuff. Uh, like it, that was, it was just an insane experience. The service was fantastic. I will say that the breakfast buffet that they give you, it's normally 48 US dollars, which I don't think was terrible given what it is. And if you've ever been to a breakfast buffet in China specifically, but anywhere in Asia, they have these really elaborate, especially at Western kind of chain hotels, they have these really elaborate breakfast buffets with huge Chinese breakfast, Western breakfast, anything you can want. I mean, they're really overwhelming, but this was the best one I've ever seen. They had lobster claws, Joe, they had... I mean, it was just such an extensive list of food that they had there, and it was free. I mean, it was included with our stay, and I think my daughter was about $20 for her meal. Uh, And then, like I said, I was able to use part of the credit there, and uh, I really love that hotel. It's got to be one of my favorite hotels I've ever stayed at. The next night, we went to the St. Regis using another FHR. That was $240 all in before the $200 credit, so $40. And I was expecting a lot more out of St. Regis. That was actually a big disappointment. One of my least favorite 
stays in Macau ever. Probably my least favorite stay in Macau because Macau is really stacked with luxury hotels and they really know how to treat you. And the St. Regis was fine. There was nothing wrong with the service. It just felt hectic. It didn't feel like a five-star hotel should. Or maybe I'm just putting too much expectation on the St. Regis brand. I don't know. But you should have that kind of expectation because even if you weren't booking it with FHR, like if you were not booking it with FHR, then it would have been like a lot more expensive. And so I, I feel like those expectations are warranted. I mean, it's not even a do you know who I am situation because theoretically, like people pay a lot of money for this and they expect a premium experience. I'm curious your take, although I, I figure I know the answer, but if people are choosing just between visiting Hong Kong or Macau, I'm guessing you would say they should visit Hong Kong first? For sure. I definitely recommend uh, visiting Hong Kong. I mean, there's so much to do here and it's a very vibrant city and you can you know, find anything to do based on your preferences. But Macau can also be a day trip. You can take the ferry from Hong Kong in the morning, take it back at night, see it. Macau has a lot of interesting history that people might not know about because it was a Portuguese colony. So when Hong Kong went to the British around a similar time, Macau went to the Portuguese and they both were turned back over to China at the same time in the late 90s. So everything, like all the street names in Macau are Portuguese. There's a lot of like Portuguese architecture, especially on the main part of Macau, not where most of the casinos are. There's big forts. There's a lot of history there, a lot of interesting stuff to see in Macau. So if you can spare a day and you don't want to spend the night there, you can take the ferry over. I recommend spending a night there because there are so many great hotels. And if you have status there with any of them, they treat you like a high roller at the casino just for having, you know, globalist status, platinum status or higher with Marriott. Those sort are a Hilton Diamond. I've stayed at the Conrad there a couple of times and it's been spectacular. So just if you're a hotel nerd, I think it's worth a stay at Macau or a quick trip over there, spend a night there. I've told people to do that. But if you don't have a lot of time and you're making a quick trip here, I would say Hong Kong would be the priority uh, for sure. But uh, yeah, Macau, uh, definitely cool. And, you know, it's cool to see. The first time I was there was in 2008. And what they've built is something called the Kotai Strip. So the main part of Macau, the peninsula, is what borders, has a land border with mainland China, with Zhuhai. And there are some casinos there, including the original Wynn and MGM casinos, but that's where all this like historical stuff is. But back in the mid 2000s, they did this huge landfill project and created this area called Kotai, which is across the water from that. And that's where they built a quote unquote Kotai strip. And the Venetian was the first hotel there. And that opened, I think in 2007. And we were there in 2008 and that was the only casino there. And now there's 10 mega casinos on the Kotai strip. So I've watched over the years it go from basically one casino to basically like the Las Vegas Strip. And I saw something go viral on social media this week. Uh, somebody did a TikTok calling it the Chinese knockoff Vegas, which was a little offensive to me for a lot of reasons. But I will say that Macau is better than Vegas in just about every way. I'm not going to say that there's not things that are better about Vegas. But if you're talking about the quality of the hotels, the quality of the theming and the experience at all these places... Macau is better. Like I said, Parisian's better than Paris. The Venetian there, pretty similar. But Wynn Palace, which is Wynn's casino on the Kotai Strip, is the finest example of a casino resort in the world. Uh, it has its own version of like the Bellagio Fountains, but a little bit better. It has a cable car that goes around the fountains, a free ride. I mean, it's, it's an amazing place. And I 
hate that people would call it the Chinese knockoff Vegas. I call it the alternate universe Vegas because there's some things that feel similar because you have similar properties like Venetian in both places, like a Paris-themed hotel. But it is, it's an incredible place. So if you're into Vegas culture, definitely recommend Macau for a, uh, for a visit. Yeah, it does not feel like there are other areas in the country where there are a lot of casinos, but I feel like Macau feels like on Vegas's level of pomp and circumstance and just spectacle. So it's does like, because when you say it's the whatever version of whatever, it's always like considering it an inferior version that might be reserved for a casino area. You know, those, that kind of shade might be reserved for a casino area um, that uh, you might be able to find in New Jersey or something like that. But, uh, you know, when you're talking Macau and the amount of money that they dumped in there, the amount of money that is in the Asian gambling just uh, economy, you know, I think Macau is deserves to be treated and thought of as its own thing. So, yeah, I totally get that. And um, just the opulence is not it's not. Uh, yeah, we're not we're not talking about uh, <laughs> coastal New Jersey here. No, it's incredible. A lot of the same gaming operators win MGM. Las Vegas Sands, who used to own the Venetian in Las Vegas, they're they're there. Also, Melco, which is an Australia company, I believe. So there's definitely the the A game players in the gaming industry there, and everything is top level. So it's its own thing. I would not. Uh, and as you point out, the gaming revenue has far surpassed the strip at this point in Macau, and the recovery is going really well. It's very busy, and. Las Vegas Sands, they rethemed one of their properties. It was called Sands Kotai Central. It didn't really have a central theme, and that's where the St. Regis is, the Conrad, and they rethemed it to Londoner, so they made it completely London-themed, and they added the whole front of it is like the Westminster Abbey, and they added Big Ben, and so now Las Vegas Sands owns the Venetian, the Parisian, and the Londoner, so on you know, one basic area, you can go to Venice, Paris, and London, and it's really cool, but all the theming is very high-quality, a really nice place. And yeah, it, it's unfortunate if people want to call it, you know, put it down like it's a, a knockoff of Vegas. It's much better in many ways. And uh, that's all I'll say about that. So I heard you have an update for us on Australia. Yes, it is official. Uh, we are going. Um, we had talked about the Air New Zealand Sky Couch on a previous episode. It must have been three episodes ago. And so I ended up booking that. I booked it. Um, from Air New like to get the Sky Couch, I had to book, and I booked it in cash. Um, I booked, I had to book it from Air New Zealand's website itself, um, but I booked it directly from Boston, uh, connecting through Houston. So it's going to be a pretty long flight. So we'll see how it is. But between our family, we spent an extra thousand two hundred dollars um, for two Sky Couches and an extra seat. So we will see if that was worth it. But I figured that we are going to go see relatives in Australia. There, are, we like have our flights home taken care of um, via points and stuff like that. So I decided that, you know, I was just going to bite the bullet, uh, pay cash, and hopefully, you know, this is this is a memory that the kids will remember forever. Not only going to New Zealand and Australia, but also uh, the Women's World Cup. Um, I think I mentioned that this will be my second straight Women's World Cup with my oldest daughter. And so, um, and crossing fingers, there's a chance that the 2027 one might come to the States. Um, so 
hopefully uh, we can make that a thing. So pretty excited about it. Uh, already paid off the bill. Um, so just not even worrying about it. That's kind of how it's got to be sometimes. Speaking of paying off the bill, and not to mention Disney again, but I think this is relevant to some people. Huge news all over the place that Disney announced they're going to close the Galactic Star Cruiser, their Star Wars hotel, after you know basically a year or so of operating. And as soon as they announced that, I think anybody who had been saying, oh, I'll do it someday, kind of wanted to book it. You were on hold for how long to get that booked? I think you booked it for yourself and then also for clients, right? Yep, five and a half hours. It was nuts. And if I had gotten disconnected, I was so nervous about getting disconnected. Because um, if I had gotten disconnected, the queue was closed. Um, and they all sold out by like 4.30 p.m. Eastern. So um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't happening uh, if I had gotten disconnected. Isn't it ironic that the best thing that they could have done to, to drive sales of that thing was to announce it's going to close? And it's crazy that Disney spent so much money on that project. And, you know, the idea of a Star Wars hotel was great. I think all the reviews were really great of it as well. It's just the price was so high and it doesn't seem like the economics worked for Disney. But and they're going to write off the building and who knows what will happen. Probably just tear it down or use it for storage or something. Uh, I don't think they're going to convert it into a regular hotel from everything I've seen. It doesn't have the sort of facilities and the infrastructure to be a regular hotel. So, yeah, if you wanted to book the Galactic Star Cruises, the Star Wars Hotel, you are out of luck, as I am. But uh, Joe is going to go, so I'm super, super jealous. You talk about being jealous. Uh, I, I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't sure if I would have booked it when they announced it was going to close, but I wasn't expecting it to sell out like that. Yeah, I will say that... <laughs> It costs about as much as our one-way flights to New Zealand. Um, but uh, you know what? I'm just going to write off the entire summer. I will I'll, I'll also say um, one thing that I'm excited about is actually not having to cover the Star Cruiser. I'm just taking my two older kids, although we're debating whether my wife's not really interested. I would like in an ideal world be okay taking the five-year-old just to give her this once-in-a-lifetime experience, kind of like... I guess this is the theme for my summer. Like, just let's do these once-in-a-lifetime experiences for the kids. I would take her, but I can't take her without my wife just because the amount of stuff that you have to do on, like, a data pad. Um, you have to, like, take missions. You have to be able to read, um, which she can't do. Um, so, you know, shame on her. So I don't know who's going to end up going, but uh, I'm excited to go. And then the thing that I'm really excited about, Sean, and I, I'm sure you can relate to this, although I'm not sure when you get this experience, because it's closing – I've decided, like, I'm not going to do any content on it. Uh, I'm going to record something on, you know, our Patreon for Disney Deciphered about it. Um, and maybe we'll mention it here a little bit. But, I'm, like, I'm not going to do a trip report on it. The pictures that I take are, like, just going to be for me. The decisions that I make, the things that, like, I'm not going to, you know, I had originally thought about, like, oh, if I'm covering the Star Cruiser, like, I want to you know, see as many potential storyline paths as possible to like give, be able to give clients or um, podcast listeners good advice about like what paths to take and stuff like that. I don't need to worry about any of that. I can just go there, have fun, um, let my kids enjoy it the way they want to enjoy it. I don't even have to have them pose for pictures or anything like that. Um, and so the downside of that is probably not going to be right, able to write it off as a business expense, but um uh, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy it. And there's something freeing about that. You know, it, it is tough. Uh, I think this is something that 
quote unquote normal people don't necessarily understand. Although with social media, maybe you do understand it. Like the need to like post things or like create content off of things or, um, you know, you're always thinking about like, how can this factor into something I'm working on? You know, all that stuff, it is stressful. So it, it's going to be nice to do something Disney related where I'm just going to enjoy it. Yeah, it reminds me of my conversation with Lee, just talking a little bit behind the scenes. And that's definitely a behind the scenes thing is uh, you don't always have the time to yourself if you're working or even if just your brain is going and you're thinking about how you're going to talk about something, how you're going to present something, you're watching it all through more of a critical eye, you're documenting it more than you would, and it can take you out of being able to enjoy that. So I give kudos to you for for doing that. And especially it's going to be a once in a lifetime experience, right? Because this place is going away. So you know, you're not going to do it again. And you want to be fully there, you know, for your family just to enjoy it. And sometimes it's nice to have those private memories and not have to worry about sharing it and documenting it. So I think that's really cool. And, you know, there's been enough out there, there's plenty of videos and everybody's, this is well documented by so many people that you don't have to do it. And I guess that's a good lesson to some people. And I, you know, I think it's a lesson we could all learn is that there's so many, everybody's documenting everything all the time, everywhere. So you don't need to take a picture of that thing if you don't want to, if you don't, you don't have to post it if you don't want to take a picture for yourself if you want for your memories, but the world isn't going to go on if you don't post a picture of whatever that thing is. And if it gives you joy, that's great. But if it becomes stressful, then it's just not worth it. And I think that's what's great. And I think unfortunately in this sort of, social media obsessed world where people are looking for likes and they're looking for that feedback. Uh, it can be a little bit destructive and I'm not going to say I'm above it. I don't typically post things looking for likes, but you know, when you post content, especially when you do this for a living, you want things to do better. And so when things do better, you feel better. And when things don't do as well, get as many views or whatever, you don't feel as good. And it's hard to avoid that, even though it's not something that I put a lot of priority on, uh, it's still unavoidable. So yeah, it's it's great to just enjoy travel sometimes, and I marvel at people who can do that and just be there. And someday when I'm old, it'll be nice to just travel and tell nobody about it. Yeah, I mean, that is what's awesome about this thing closing, which, uh, as a quick aside, they probably could have... They, they're closing it on September 30th because that's when fiscal year 2023 ends, but I bet you... With the announcement that it closed, they could have done pretty well, maybe all the way to September 30th, 2024. Um, but that's neither here nor there. I actually read something that like um, there are other kind of LARPing activities that found the same thing. Like when they say they're going to close, they actually sell out. So anyway, whatever. That's neither here nor there, like I said. But uh, the really nice thing about the Star Cruiser thing is, you know, this is not a spoiler. There's like a lot of action. There are like scenes that happen, people fight, and you're watching and things like that. I am very glad that I'm not going to be tempted to record that, like with my phone. Like the only thing I actually want to take pictures of during while that's happening is my kids' reactions. So it's almost like I'll be facing the other way and taking a picture of them just so I can remember what they looked like when it happened. But the reality is, like, there are so many vloggers out there who have probably taken, you know, I haven't watched any of them because I'm trying to, even though I kind of know what happens, I'm like trying to be as spoiler-free as possible. They probably have wildly better video than I could ever take. And that's what I never understand about people taking video of fireworks and things like that. Unless you need to put it in, like, a YouTube video for content and you're worried about licensing issues or whatever, so many people have so many better videos of 
you know, Disney fireworks or wherever, um, you know, why you don't need to take it. Like, why are, why are all these phones up? Taylor Swift. I'm sure tons of people took video at Taylor Swift, but I bet you someone has a better video than you had. So, uh, and you're probably not going to go back and watch your video anyway. So rant over. I'll tell you what, Joe, in Hong Kong, the cell phone culture here is at another level. Everybody is, or at least all the younger people, I would say under 35 years old, are walking around with their cell phone constantly. They're either streaming, watching streams, filming things constantly. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just very noticeable. And at Disney, people are always filming things at Disney, right? But just filming more of the POV, just almost like they're vloggers, but they're not really vlogging, I don't think. You know, they're just doing it for themselves. So hopefully people do, you know, go back. I I go back and look at all my photos and video. I'm not going to say go back and look at every one, but I constantly go back and look at memories from my travels. So it's something that's deeply... In addition to doing it for work, it's something that's meaningful to me because I do that. But I don't think most people think about it in that way. My wife gets annoyed every time I'm like, oh, remember this time in 2009? Here's a picture of it. I was trying to figure out how many times I'd been to Hong Kong Disneyland. And so I went back through my Google Photos and she just rolled her eyes at me. You know, I was like, I went this year, this year, this year, this year. And she just like rolled her eyes. But I loved looking at the photos of that stuff. So if you're like me, then that's great. But otherwise, you know, try to be in the moment. And I do that too, like... I was, yesterday I was filming the fireworks show because I wanted a little B-roll just in case I ever have to talk about it and then put my phone down and watched it and made sure I was in the moment. So there's ways to balance it as well. But yeah, I will tell you the the cell phone culture here, Joe, is uh, it's next level as far as that. I've never seen people walking like in the subway streaming themselves to other people because you can look at the phone and see that they're on a stream and that they're streaming themselves. And, and uh, it's, you know, it's just different and interesting. Yeah. Uh, on the... I do like when Google Photos puts together montages for me. That is always great. So that that is one reason to remember to take the photos. Although I again, I want the montages with my kids in them. You know, not necessarily like a photo of fireworks or whatever. It's funny you say the streaming thing. Um, I definitely have seen that. You know, you know that my wife and I watch a lot of like K dramas. I've seen that leaking in to Korean dramas a lot. Like it's like becoming like plot points about people live streaming and stuff like that. And that also reminds me that I've also seen amongst high school kids this bizarre culture that, like, I, as an old, will never understand where they're just FaceTime each other as they're walking around. And, like, with their, you know, and they're just, like, FaceTiming point of view, point of view, and then they flip the camera, they're like, oh, I'm here. And they're just, like, talking on FaceTime while showing, like, what's going on around them um, at the same time. So maybe we're just old, Sean. We just don't understand this but it's it's just it is crazy just how like integrate i mean we think you and me as olds our cell phones are like very integrated in our lives it's just crazy how much even more so the younger generation is uh john ryan let us know proper cell phone usage uh for the kids out there yeah the way i've always approached you know these differences and cultural differences and everything else is to say who's to say my way of doing things or thinking of things is the right way and I give all props to people to have their own opinion and, and what they do. So no judgment there. It's just it's fascinating to me to see it. And I've definitely seen the 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 streaming thing as well, or the FaceTime thing where they're walking around. And yeah, it's it's incredible to see, and not something that works for me, but glad it works for them. Uh, you just gotta dodge people because sometimes they're on their phones, not paying attention. So you know they're not always walking in straight lines and stuff like that. That's probably the most annoying thing to me about it. Other than that. Let them do it. So uh, before we close out the show, Joe, let's talk about two deals that are going on in the miles and points space. 
Virgin Voyages came out with a new deal for Virgin Red for their European cruises, and you can book one for 80,000 Virgin points. And I believe right now, both Chase and Amex have transfer bonuses, 30% transfer bonuses, meaning you can book these for like 62,000 points. And these are seven night cruises out of Barcelona or Athens. And you get a sea terrace or a limited sea terrace. That's basically their balcony room. It has to be for departures between June 1st and July 31st. So that's why they're offering this deal. But this is a great value. I mean, I don't know you're ever going to get a, a cruise, the quality of Virgin for 62,000 points. Uh, people can refer back to the episode where I talked about my Virgin experience. I overall really liked it. There were It wasn't perfect. There were things that annoyed me. The food was fantastic. I really loved the entertainment. And if this is something that you can work into your schedule, I will say flight and hotel prices in Europe this summer are insane. But if you can work out in getting there and doing it, I don't think you'll regret uh, making that voyage on Virgin for that price. Yeah, reminder, Virgin is adult only. I think, I mean, it's it's 80,000 for double occupancy, right? It's not 80,000 per person. Correct, yeah. So the total cost yeah, so, for two I people mean, would be 80,000 or 62,000 Chase Ultimate Rewards or Membership Rewards. Yeah, which is like, what, the equivalent of $620? I mean, that is pretty awesome. I wonder if they're having trouble... Like, I know that Disney had trouble selling out their summer sailings in Europe because um, I think it partially because of just these crazy prices. Like, getting to Europe is going to cost you two, three times as much as that Virgin Voyages cruise. Um, so I think it's one of those things where if you're in Europe already, maybe consider it um, because it really is a great deal. And, you know, I will be curious. I mean, are there other adult-only cruise lines i mean i guess like for older people um but it'll be interesting to see if the market is there because part of me makes me wonder are they having to offer this because the market isn't as strong as they had hoped it would be or maybe they're just trying to it's a loss leader and trying to get people in the door both all of the above yeah i don't know i mean i'm taking that carnival cruise out of london up to norway and that ship they were offering a lot of discounts on it this summer as well and i wonder if it's the american brands that are struggling when you have so many European brands and as they restart, maybe people favor them there. Carnival only has one ship in Europe this year or pretty much any year. And they were still offering, you know, basically highly discounted cruises or free cruises. I'm not, I don't get free cruise offers for any cruise. I get very specific ones like Australia. There it seems like they're struggling. So I get free offers there as well. Um, but so I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's just a, you know, a, American cruise line. I, I mean, Virgin markets itself not as an American cruise line, but it is an American cruise line. So it's very strange. I don't know. Maybe the industry hasn't fully recovered there either. But yeah, the prices are crazy. Now, I am finding some interesting, you know, places like I hadn't planned that week in between Hong Kong and the cruise. And so it took me a little bit of like searching because I didn't realize just how insane hotel prices had gotten in Europe this summer. In fact, I was kind of considering going down to Disneyland Paris, which I'm fine not doing. We did it last year. Hotels that in the past I've paid $100 a night for, like these you know small kind of family hotels near Disneyland Paris, are going for $400 a night. And I've seen that everywhere. Now, we're going to Dusseldorf, and we got the Hyatt Regency Dusseldorf there. It's a Category 4. looks beautiful, and there's a lot to see in that area. I've never been to that particular area of Germany. was able to use a suite upgrade, so that was great. Uh, to get to London, I was able to redeem Avios for the BA City Flyer. And here's a little tip. If you've never done BA City Flyer, if you're flying BA to London using Avios, 
they they incorporate all the taxes into the avios price. So it was like nine thousand, a little over nine thousand avios a person for what was a two hundred dollar flight. But there's no taxes and fees. It was one dollar fee per person, and that's the BA City Flyer program. Really a great value a lot of the time if you're doing that, especially if you want to avoid Ryanair and some of the other budget carriers. If you have bags and and stuff like that. So uh, I highly recommend that. But I was able to, with my skills and kind of searching and we knew we were going to be in Amsterdam. So I kind of just like was looking at trains, looking at interesting places and some of the hotel options. Found Dusseldorf pretty quickly. And I was kind of debating between Dusseldorf and Cologne. I found options in both cities. So there still is ways to go. But if you're trying to go to like the big cities like Paris or, you know, London right now, the prices are are insane and London is very hard if you have more than two people to find uh, an award night. I was able to do that but not in the center of the city. Plenty of award space for like regular rooms with two people but very few of the hotels have standard awards for rooms with three or more people. So you're running into all of that right now in Europe. Last year was probably a better year to go there I'd say. Maybe next year like take this year off from Europe if you can. That's why we were kind of trying to get in and out before the height of the summer season, although we have a little overlap there. But uh, this is a great deal. And I think there is a lot of last minute stuff. I still don't have a flight back to the States from London. And I'm seeing plenty of options, some in business class, some in economy. But you can definitely get there on points, especially in economy, booking last minute. Um, So just, you know, take a look at that. And the other deal I wanted to talk about is Built's Rent Day for June, and that's because this show is coming out on June 1st, so you'll have an opportunity to do this. Built is celebrating their birthday, and they're doing a huge giveaway where you can earn all kinds of prizes. You just go to the Built Rewards app, and I think you can win up to 100,000 Built points. There's other prizes like 25 or 50, 10,000 a month of free rent. Um, Virgin Virgin Airlines is offering a flight to London. Emirates is offering flights to Dubai. So every member can play, and I believe you everybody wins something. So it's definitely worth doing. They're also doing their normal stuff like double points, their points quest where you answer questions and stuff like that. But if you have a built account, and you should because it's free to sign up for one, and you can get those free points during the the quizzes every rent day, even if you don't do anything else with them. You don't need the credit card or anything for that. Uh, And I'll put a link to sign up in the description, my referral link if you want to sign up. But just go to the app on June 1st, and you should be able to win some points. Hopefully you win 100K. If you do, let us know because it would be nice. Uh, I mean, those are basically the equivalent to Hyatt points. You can transfer them to American, a ton of transfer partners, probably the most valuable transferable currency at this point. So every point counts. I, I, you know, I pick up a couple hundred every month just from the quizzes. Easy 500 points um, every month with the quizzes. People post the answers, et cetera, or you should be able to figure it out yourself. So yes, happy built day. Uh, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out. Yeah. And uh, like I said that I do have a referral relationship with built. So just to disclose that I want to make sure I do that, but Uh, This is something I do every month, and good to see that they're doing a giveaway here. And every month seems to be something noteworthy to talk about, so they've really worked hard, I think, to kind of milk their partners for these promotions, which is kind of nice. And I hope other programs do more of this, you know, do more. You don't see the banks doing this, where they're getting all their partners to, to put out special promotions, you know, status matches, all these sort of things. So maybe Bill doing all this stuff will push some of the other programs in that direction. That's my hope, but uh, it's always good to take advantage. And, you know, a few hundred points a month, 
those are Hyatt points. So you get up to 5,000 points, that's a free night at a Category 1 Hyatt. So, you know, they do add up, and you can combine them with what you have. So uh, it's good there. Anything else uh, to mention before we go? Uh, the one casualty, quote-unquote, of my New Zealand trip being booked is that I'm no longer long-time listeners. Well, this is a few months ago. We had debated whether it was worth it for me to fly Boston to LAX on Delta in one of their suites um, for 78,000 points one way. Well, doesn't matter. I'm going to cancel that flight. There was a flight change. By the way, Delta's flight change um, rules still very generous. So I could have moved my flight to any other Boston to LAX business class. And remember, it's live flat um, going from Boston to LAX. You know, like the carriers run a lot of these cross-country flights with live flat seats. I could have moved it to any flight within plus or minus two days for all five of my family. Um, so that would have been awesome. But we don't need the flight anymore since we're not stopping in LA on our way to New Zealand. So going to be Boston, IAH to Auckland, um, spend six nights in Auckland. Then I still need to book my Auckland to Sydney flight, but that shouldn't be an issue. And then we have Sydney back to LAX, I think. And then we might, some of us might go to Disneyland. Some of us might go to wedding and then uh, we're going to fly on home. So pretty stoked about the trip. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Time to you know, I didn't realize, uh, and you can do it online, but we need to get visas for New Zealand and Australia. So looking forward to that. But also a ton of Delta miles back in my account, which, uh, you know, who knows if I'll ever use them. It's good to save those Delta miles. I was happy to spend the 90K for Hong Kong to Amsterdam. And I was, you know, I think people gave me, rolled my rolled their eyes at me uh, for redeeming 90,000 Delta miles for a business class, for a 14-hour business class. But I'm like, that's a that's a good deal compared to what Joe was going to pay. Uh, but no, I didn't think oh, that. I, did, I just God. thought about it right now when you said God. it. I had not yeah, thought about it You should have thought that. of that. You know, you should have, <laughs> yeah, you, you could have had it. So, yeah. And um, like you, actually, um, what you were saying, I don't know what the current thing is, but I remember in the past Delta economy to Europe, which from the East Coast is very doable. Like, you don't need to, like, bougie it up to fly business class to Europe um, was always fairly modest. Uh, and so maybe that's an option if you are uh, flying to Europe this summer. I haven't looked for the summers, though, since I'm going the other direction. Yeah, Flying Blue also with KLM Air France. A lot of times you can find economy flights from the East Coast for like 15,000 points. They do have fuel surcharges, but if you factor in paying the less points, it often makes sense. And, you know, yet like you said, about eight hours from Europe to the East Coast, which is not bad at all and certainly doable in economy. So, uh, yeah, just a reminder, we still do have a few slots in the MTM Diamond Slack or Facebook group or community, I guess, because we have all of that stuff. We do bonus content. We have meetups several times a year. You can find all the information there at milestomemories.com forward slash diamond. And uh, just a few slots left, and it'll be full again. So if you want to get in there, check that out. And everything relating to this podcast, you can find at mtmpodcast.com. You can find links to subscribe. If you're on Apple Podcasts, consider leaving us a five-star review. We love that. Written reviews, even better. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you guys next time. See ya.